0: Two friends just made a podcast. Two good friends just made a podcast. Two friends just
1: made a podcast. It's called Culture Bucket. Two friends just made a podcast. Two good friends just made a podcast. Two friends just made a podcast. Culture Bucket, Georgia.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Culture Bucket. Welcome to your 30th episode of Culture Bucket. It's a pleasure to be with you again for the 30th time. Uh, I am George, your host. With me is your co-host, Alex. Hi, Alex. How are you today?
0: Hi, George. Hi, everyone. I'm, uh, I'm great, actually. I don't know. I'm good. I'm back at school. From good. today, and Exciting. it's actually amazing to be back in a classroom and not in front of a computer. So that was nice. good. It's not going to last very long until <laughs> those children <laughs> drive me insane. But for the first day, I'm very positive. How are you good. today, George? I'm pretty good today. today. I'm on S. holiday. So uh, I'm, yes. I'm
2: chilled, uh, which is good. And yeah, that's about it. It's good. <laughs> it's I'm good. good. Um, I'm excited today. We're going to talk about our top five '80s bands. Which was uh, when I started looking at possible bands to include, I realized that there was uh, some really good music to talk about, which I'm I'm happy with.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I I know I know that my bands have I've been influenced by mainly because they were '80s. I think I'm I'm mainly in, influenced by family members. Oh, it'll be
2: interesting yeah. to see.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, the definition for an eighties band we'll discuss at the start of the uh of the top five, but i I think uh, we're pretty loose and easy well
0: m- like uh, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, I yeah. think I chose uh, bands from like end seventies eighties like yeah. were the most popular in the 80s yeah, yeah, I think that's fair.
1: This is This is where we talk about
0: what we've watched, what we've read, what we've listened to, and probably some other stuff. I'm starting uh, this week. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, some films and a book I have read. Wow. Again,
2: bringing pretentious snobbery into our podcast.
0: Uh, Yeah, I love it.
2: Book reading.
0: Yeah, well, now, you know, you have more time in your hands. And I haven't read this much since I was a kid, I think. Mm. And now I feel like I read a lot because I've got more time. I've got, you know, I've got nothing else to do.
2: (laughs) It's interesting. Something about this pandemic is I haven't been able to focus on a book. I've really struggled. I read that one book we did for top five books, uh, Convenience Store Woman, Ah, which I really enjoyed. But, um, and then I, I, then I, off the back of that, I tried to read 1Q84 and I think trying to jump into a like thousand page novel was not the right move. I fell off that quite hard. Um, yeah. But maybe the book you read today will be an inspiration. I'll find out. So go, I, yeah, tell me about yeah. your stuff.
0: Okay, my stuff. So uh, I watched a couple of Japanese films. Yeah. Uh, after, um, after... Uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. I wanted to feel again. Yeah. I wanted to feel some kind of emotion on a film and a little bit on the invitation as well. I wanted to feel some kind of like emotion. I thought maybe I'm emotionless at the moment. Maybe I can't feel emotion, but I I can feel emotion. I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, so um, I watched a film, um, a Japanese film uh called Sweet Bean. Uh, directed by Naomi Kawase. And it stars one of my favorite actresses, Japanese actresses, who is Kirin Kiki.
1: Oh, She yeah. was in
0: my top 10 um, actors. And <clears throat> also it stars uh, her um, her granddaughter, which also was in another film with her in uh, by Koreeda. But let's not go into that because, you know, if not, it's just a stop you know uh, but yeah it's about this uh, <laughs> um and of course it's a uh, is a japanese drama slice of life uh, and uh it just starts in spring the first shot of this film is uh, the cherry blossoms so already there i could feel My life coming back. Uh, But yes, so it's about uh, Sentaro, who is played by Masatoshi Nagase. Mm. Uh, He's a middle-aged man who runs a small dorayaki shop. So dorayaki are these little sweet pancakes with a sweet bean filling. Mm. Uh, so, um, this shop is frequented by locals and, uh, especially, uh, middle school, mi- middle schoolers. And, um, and, uh, this, uh, one day this woman arrives and, uh, uh, this, I think she's in her 70s, Killing Kiki, played by Kirinkiki. She arrives at the shop and uh, uh, she sees the notice that he needs something, somebody to do some part-time work and uh, she wants to work there and he goes, oh, well, you can't work here, you're too old you know this is mm. a hard job and stuff but she says this is i've always wanted to do this job so she really really wants to do this job and then uh, he feels bad and uh, she, he refuses and then he gives her uh one of these uh dorayaki which are these little uh, things and then um in the evening she comes back and she tells him that uh his dorayaki are not very good uh, she gives him some bean paste to try, and um, this woman has got some disfiguration on her hands, and uh, and then we find out what it's, this ability is, and um, and she had uh, leprosy, oh, but wow. so she starts working with him, and mm. the shop gets busier, and then uh, his uh, he just manages this place, and his boss comes and uh, to the shop and says that uh, she used to have leprosy. And leprosy is not really a contagious disease. It's contagious in certain kinds, but if it's treated, it's not contagious. So it shouldn't mm. be a problem. But unfortunately, the stigma of being a leper is still around and yeah. uh, it's terrible. And it shows how in Japan, people with leprosy had to live in a sanatorium until 1996. They couldn't live anywhere else. That's
2: so crazy, because to me, leprosy feels like a a Bible disease. Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: yeah. It's not even called leprosy anymore. Um, It's called uh, Hansen disease. Mm. So so this Hansen disease, which is like a bacterial disease, um, people like in Italy, they used to send them to islands. So it's kind of like sending them away and not seeing them anymore. So in a way, this film kind of shows how Japan completely the Japanese government completely like divided them and they couldn't do anything. They Mm. couldn't work. And so that's why this woman really wanted to work in this place. It's a lovely film. It gives you all the emotions. It's just, it's just great filmmaking. Nothing much happens. Not a, it just, it's just beautiful. I loved it. I, you know, I love my slices of life, but also in these slices of life, it shows you how, you know, how some certain members of society in gets completely cast away because of you know a disease Com- yeah, got yeah, completely yeah. casted away because of a disease mm. and um and uh, this film uh shows it and um, how people react because if if you just read because i i always thought that leprosy was really um contagious but it's a, is a bacterial disease that if you if you can contain it if you can cure it then it's not you know if you've been cured yeah. then you still have the um you know the effects on it on your body, so it could be like you know um, malformation of hands, like the Kirin Kiki's character, or maybe like some limbs falling off, but um, not falling off, but some limb like the no, not having mean. certain limbs. And um, but yes, yeah, so it's it's a it's a very nice film, and the, what I I really enjoyed was um, the the actor that plays Sentaro uh, Masatoshi Nagase throughout the film because he's he's his past which we're not really sure what his past is about uh, there's something that went on in his past that um could be kind of affecting different things it could be the same person that's affecting his present now or to different people different things affecting his present but he's such a good actor that you can see him kind of having this the pain of the past kind of being on him and it's and then at the end this pay, this this heavy weight being lifted it's just beautiful he's such a good actor mm. and you know i love kidding kiki she's one of my favorite actresses and every time i see her i'm extremely happy so it's like um, a great film
2: when did it come out what um, year is it from
0: it came out in 2015 mm.
2: Do you think people feel like that about um, leprosy because of the stories in the Bible of people not wanting to go Mm -hmm. near and then Jesus will. So people have taken the wrong lesson of Jesus going to the lepers and being with them and instead taking the lesson of they're contagious and let's not go near them.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
2: Because like you say, the modern uh... understanding of it is very different, but people don't know that. People know, at least, you know, Christian people or people from the West know, know it from that. Anyway, I
0: think there's still a lot of ignorance on diseases, mm. you know, like any diseases that there are, you know, you don't. Um, um, I think
2: we've all learned a lot about ignorance of diseases uh, in the past
0: year. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> have. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's my first Japanese film. And my second Japanese film is called, is a, uh, n- it was very difficult to find. English stuff about it but if I can't find English stuff about it mm. I can't talk about it because my Japanese is not great yeah so uh, a 2005 uh, uh, Japanese film called Breakthrough or uh, Pachiji and it's about uh, it's set in Kyoto in 1968 and um, yeah, it's about high school students uh, how high school students uh deal uh with their life as korean japanese mm-hmm. uh trying to um try to be respected in uh, in japan but the but it's it's really they can't so it's a really hard time in japan so uh, these uh, uh these japanese korean kids were born in japan so their parents are korean so they are actually japanese because they're born in japan so mm. um but the they are they are mistreated uh, by people they are not liked because they are korean and uh they in a way they they get they're very angry and right. so um it's, the film starts with um with these uh, high school boys um um kind of talking inopportuning inopportuning being inopportune what's the word um
2: I'm not sure inappropriate
0: um being inappropriate with these uh Japanese Korean girls and then uh and then (laughs) one of the girls runs off and then all these uh boys from the Japanese Korean school come and they uh, topple the bus. So like the first one of the first scenes is like these like Korean high school boys or well, Japanese Korean high school boys um, toppling this bus. And um, it's an interesting film because it's totally so it's, it's directed by a Japanese person. All the all the acting actors are Japanese, but there is no nobody is being nobody's in the right and nobody's in the wrong so uh it's um it's basically a film about ch- trying to fit in in a society that doesn't accept you but a society that has uh, brought you in because a lot of koreans got uh, forcibly got from Korea and sent to Japan. Yeah, so yes. uh So it's a society where you're not accepted, but your parents basically got stolen yeah. and then put in your... And, and then you're born in that society, but you're still not fully Japanese. And that's kind of still a problem, like an, a big issue in Japan. And... Um, what is so there's there's a big big divide between the the Japanese Korean kids and the Japanese kids but uh the the story kind of centers on uh, one of um the kids uh from uh, one of the Japanese kids uh falling in love with one of the Japanese Korean kids and kind of um trying and kind of not caring about kind of just loving her for what she is and Fitting and then starting to uh, fit in the Korean uh, friends, so he makes friends with the Korean boys, and he tries to learn this song that is a Korean song, which is translated in Japanese, and um, it's 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 basically a story of trying to unify Mm. this this, and although. Although it's impossible, it's a, it's a it's a bit of a hope of being able to get along, even if the the differences are so big, but also shows the hate that the Japanese had for these Japanese Koreans, some of the Japanese had for these Japanese Koreans, uh, and it's just um, it's interesting because it's all made by japanese people so it's the japanese people saying look look what we've done look what is happening look what has happened in 68 let's move on you yeah. know and so i thought that was really good um mm. uh, apparently the the right wing uh japanese right wing did not really enjoy this film because
2: uh... <laughs> i can imagine
0: <laughs> uh but yeah so um it's um it's nice. I I really enjoyed it. It was it it's a film that feels a bit old and I liked it because it was filmed in two thousand and five, but I think it was um it felt um it felt older. They managed to like depict um, that time and then um, there's some funny moments and there's some really harsh moments and uh yeah. Um and yeah, and how these kids, the Japanese Korean kids, were totally lost in a way, being a society that wasn't expect wasn't um, accepting them. Yeah. So um, so it doesn't, so this film doesn't victimize the Koreans, doesn't victimize the Japanese, doesn't doesn't demonize anyone. It's just a film about what was happening and why it was happening. And I thought it was interesting and how like a kid can just fall in love with, a, with another kid, whatever they come from, try and learn uh, Jap- uh, Korean song And then there's a scene at the end Where this song gets played at, In the radio And that's an actual real story So that was pretty good Because you know Just to kind of try and, To Lovely. unify this Yeah I know it's, it's a nice film And I, I think So the film in Japanese Is called Pachigi mm. um, I think it's called Breakthrough In English But if you look for uh, A film by Kazuki Itsuzu yeah. You'll find him
2: I'll try uh, and make yeah. sure the details go into the show notes uh, of, of you know where it can be found.
0: Thank you, and then, um, and then I needed, I needed a, a comedy. I fancied a comedy, and so I was like swiping up, swiping through, looking through, whatever, <laughs> looking through Disney Plus, and I found a comedy with Zach Efron, Adam Lev- Devine, and Anna, Anna Kendrick, Aubrey Plaza, Stephen Root, <laughs> oh, Stephanie Pharisee, Fa- and I thought, oh yeah, this is going to be great. Interesting. Who doesn't want a comedy with Anna Kendrick? <laughs> Mm. And Audrey, Ob, uh, Aubrey Plaza. Mm. Who doesn't want that? Zach I've Hefron, watched. I've him. watched
2: about fifteen minutes of this movie and turned it off. So I'm going to be interested <laughs> to find out.
0: <laughs> so I watched a film called Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates.
2: Yeah, based on a true story.
0: Based on a true story, and it's about Mike and Dave Stangle. They're brothers. Uh, they have a liquor or an alcohol business, and they're fun-loving brothers. Uh, and they're always out of control at weddings. And their little sister's getting married, and uh, their parents are asking they ask them if they can bring a date. So they uh, they put on um, Craigslist um, an ad. Uh, to if if anybody wants to go with them to Hawaii, and then um, Aubrey Plaza and Anna Kendrick, uh, kind of uh lie their way through to get to Hawaii with yeah. them. Yeah. And then in Hawaii is one uh, thing after the next. Um, I watched it all. Um. Well uh, there are some funny moments Because there, there are some good funny actors in this film
2: Yeah, I mean those lead, those four leads are all hilarious people
0: Exactly But there are also some moments that are just like First of all, there's there's one scene Where Anna Kendrick pays Amasu some money To give uh, the bride, the future bride A special massage mm. But it's unconsensual And The scene is funny, however, that is not a correct way to laugh at something. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So because this guy then becomes naked and starts rubbing himself on her, that's kind of secondhand assault? I don't know. But it's like if, if that, that scene could have been done better yeah, if, yeah. for example, Anna Kendrick said to Aubrey Plaza, do you want a special massage? And then that would have been a funny scene if everybody knew what was going on. Yeah? Mm. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So
0: it's just like it's a funny scene and you go, but no, but it's not funny because it's not right that you pay somebody to unexpectedly get massaged by a naked man.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Like I wasn't expecting that, and but you know, uh, never mind. But it's just I was so disappointed because I love all the actors in this film. Yeah, they're you know, I mean, at least the main actors, and I was just what? How could they butcher a film like that? And just to make it, I don't know, it's just a bit. You know, I I like the fact that they're showing the girls can be a little bit crass and stuff and that and. It just, it could have been done much better. Yeah,
2: I just think you it's know? like, I don't mind uh, like a, a sort of offensive, com- not necessarily offensive comedy, but like, you know, like close to the line comedy.
1: Yeah. Gross.
2: Like, um, I can't think of a good example off the top of my head. Maybe the Neighbours movies that Zac Efron is in with Seth Rogen. Yeah. they Love like, Neighbours. There's yeah. loads of comedies that are really good that are quite close to the line, but are cl- you know, you need to be, Bad you need to have bosses? a deft touch and be quite clever. That say that again.
0: Bad bosses. Is it bad Bad bosses? bosses. Horrible bosses. Horrible bosses. That's pretty wrong.
2: Yeah. But there's a line. When I was watching Mike and Dave need wedding dates, which I did turn off pretty early on, it just (laughs) seemed like there was no intelligence behind the camera, which was a real just meant that these four very talented comedic actors were just sort of flailing with nothing really working. And I, I felt embarrassed for them and had to turn it off. So I'm impressed that you got all the way through
0: yeah well i did other things while watching it you know mm-hmm. i went on instagram quite often and oh, the, the, one of the scene i really liked is when they go on the on the jurassic park tour i thought that was really good and i thought of you it was like oh you know this is the only positive thing that i could recommend george to watch this film is when they're <laughs> you see like because they're in hawaii and it's like oh yeah you know that sounds but good. but apart yeah, from yeah. that because it's also a stupid scene that The girl, the wife, the future wife, the bride, future bride, she gets hit by this motorcycle, like, no, it's a quad bike, this quad bike in the face. If you get hit by a quad bike in the face, your face is destroyed.
2: Oh, yeah, you'd probably die, presumably. But
0: two days later, her face is fine. Oh, yeah. And I was like... No, like that's the most. Like it would have been funny if she. It would have been like if she broke her arm. That would have been more realistic because her arm is still broken. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: But it was just so. So not a recommendation on Mike and Dave. No, no, no. Only if you want to watch something really bad. I'm Uh sorry. I just feel really (laughs) bad. (laughs)
2: What? uh, What else? What's next?
0: Uh and then um my book. So I read Rennie Edo Lodge's book, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. Okay. Um so I uh, I'm I'm on a quest to kind of like better myself, but not better myself, understand better what is what, what kind of things we accept and not accept and what kind of things are right or wrong or whatever. So race and gender are big things at the moment. And I, you know, I've, you know, I read the Akala book <clears throat> and then I read various other books. And I thought this would be a, an interesting one because it's like, well, the, the title is quite controversial. Why am yeah. I no longer talking to white people about race? Mm-hmm. But it's it was just it it wasn't supposed to be controversial, but it was just kind of like asking a quite like kind of questioning and kind of you questioning yourself, why wouldn't she talking be talking to white people about race? Yeah. And I grabs
2: your attention, yeah. Certainly.
0: Yeah, it does get your attention. And I thought, wow, it'd be an interesting book uh, to read. And also from an Adam Buxton podcast, there was another author that talked about her. Can't remember the name, unfortunately. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'll read the book. And um, it, it started in 2014. Uh, she posted a blog called Why I'm Not Longer Talking to White People About Race. Mm-hmm. And... Um, And then a lot of people started questioning her why this, why that. And so she wrote this book kind of to kind of respond to why people, why she, people asking her, why do you feel that way, especially white people? And, you know, kind of, and then she started writing this book. And I found this book really, really good, really good. Because I feel as, um sometimes we don't put it ourselves in other people's shoes it talks about how you think we a lot of people think that racism is only if you uh, uh you say a racist slur to someone but it's more it's it's different than that it, there's there are more nuances to it it's it's more embedded and less outside more mm. in the society and we, we basically live with it accepting it as normal it's just basically how racism is a little bit everywhere and we don't really realize and and I thought it was good she she doesn't really um hold her tongue which I like because I think I think the more we learn now and the more that we we can we can understand what we have done wrong and we can move on. Because yeah. now in England also now there's there's did you see the in England there, there was a thing that um they uh, they says that England England should be um, wait a second so um, the government did an inquest and a new race report and it says the UK is a model to the world on diversity and and does not conclude that the UK no and concludes the UK is not institutionally racist how can you say that you're a model to the world like that's already that's already you putting yourself above other countries yeah so that's already i think some people think that
2: they they intentionally made it controversial for some reason like it's just it's such a mad report
0: it's mad and and also what she says is says that the left or the left or what the people that don't be, that are not racist and the people that are not misogynist and the people that want they want the world to be a better place need to be louder because at the moment the people that shout the the loudest people are the ones that are saying that immigration is a bad thing that um those are the loudest people and I thought that was interesting
2: because yeah. those are
0: the ones you hear you know you hear Piers Morgan saying oh I have the right to I have I have a freedom of speech that's fine. But then everybody has got freedom of speech, not just you, because it only seems that only certain people have freedom of speech and other people have not. Yeah, so, yeah, that's
2: interesting. It's definitely, yeah, there's a lot of infighting on the left as well, isn't there, I think, which create, makes the, the overall volume quieter because there's less of a unified um, viewpoint, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and I feel I feel like now what we need to to think to do is just think about sustainability and and working together. And I know it sounds idyllic, but I think that's what we need to aim at. Yeah, and um, so a good book. yeah. I thought it was good. I think it's definitely a good read. It's only like a hundred and fifty pages, and okay. she's very clear. It's divided in in different chapters. In a, in kind of, oh, I wish I could. Just a second. I'll be back.
1: Oh. oh. Ah. 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 My neck. i sitting here by myself, talking to myself. That's that's chaos fairy.
0: Sorry. It's okay. So, yeah, it talks about, so like, it's divided in like history, the system, uh, what is white privilege, uh, fear of the black planet.
2: The Public Enemy album. Is it? Yep.
0: And then uh, the feminism question, because she got criticised of uh, attacking a white feminist when she wasn't race and class. That I thought that that chapter was really interesting, race and class, just because when and I was thinking about um, that band that uh, thinks that, I, uh, that idols are not very. The Sleetford mods, because in uh, in England uh, you think about working class as the white working class. Yeah. So one day Sleetford mods have that idea as well, because you think as working class as you know. <laughs> and uh, is is uh, do you include the the black community in the working class? Because can you? And that's that, I thought that was really interesting, and I was thinking mm. about Sleetford mods. And um, the last is uh, there's no justice. There's just us. And I thought that was a really good finishing. And the last chapter kind of um, talks about because by the end of the book, by by chapter seven, you're a bit like, oh, okay. How how do we change things? But then by the last chapter called aftermath, you kind of feel a bit more. She talks about the the quickly. Things are changing, and I've noticed uh, the interest of people in 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 uh, in race, the interest of people in um, in gender issues, and so I thought, like, we are changing. But I feel like if, as a white person, you consider yourself not racist, so I consider myself not racist. But then I feel, have I ever done something that made somebody feel uncomfortable or some, you know, or racist thing? And in a way, if somebody calls me out, I'll be like, no, I'm not racist. But in reality, you need to think about what you do every day that you need to respect. You know what I mean?
2: I think I know what you mean in terms of, you know, just being open to being educated, basically.
0: But I think, I think, I think empathy and understanding what hurts or offends a person is the the point. I think. So don't go, oh, you just grow up, just be it. Just, I think, empathy. Yeah. I'm Whatever saying. you feel like, if, if a person says that's not right, you should go, I'm sorry, and not get offended because you have crossed the line. And I think that's, I think that's what we should get to. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you're, you're being shut up, does it? It just means that you need to learn to just understand the person you have in front. Yeah. And that's, all. Well, I, I really enjoyed the book. <laughs> Good.
2: Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. It's got you fired
0: up. Ah, I got the fire on the up! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that is the last part of, and that's the, what I've done this week.
2: I like it. It's exciting. Films, books, well
0: done.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so I've just got some movies to talk about uh, and a TV show. And that's about it for me. So I'll I'll make a start. First of all, I watched a brand new movie from this year. I think from this year.
0: What? 2021?
2: Uh, Well, it's a 2020 movie, according to Wikipedia. But I think it only really came out in 2021. Um, I watched it on Shudder, the horror streaming app. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's available on that in the UK. And it is a Canadian uh, drama horror film called Violation which was um, written by Madeleine Sims-Fruer and Dusty Mancinelli and directed by those two people as well. And it stars Madeleine Sims-Fruer, who is one of the writer-directors of the movie. Uh, it's a film about a, a woman who's in a relationship, in a, in a marriage that's close to ending in divorce and she goes to visit her sister and her sister's husband and has a bad experience um, there uh, to do with uh, a sexual assault that occurs between her and her step, uh, what would you call it? Brother-in-law and um, she takes her revenge. So it's it falls into a genre that is um, unfortunately known as the rape revenge genre, which started off with kind of exploitation movies like I Spit on Your Grave um, in maybe the 70s. The sequel. Sorry, that's to...
0: not funny. <laughs> I Spit on Your Grave.
2: The sequel to I Spit, I on, spit your... on Your Grave. The sequel is called I Spit on Your Grave. I Piss on Your Corpse. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, this is much more of a. It's an, it feels like an indie film. It's a very artistic film. The, um, it's quite interesting in that the the sexual assault that is um, acted upon the main character is shot in a way where you don't see anything and it's an extreme close-up and it's all very suggestive um, in a way that sort of respects the character who's the victim. Does that make sense? You know, it doesn't feel exploitive. Exploitative. Mm. But then her revenge on the man is, I think, quite intentionally flipped and is the most graphic and unpleasant thing to watch that I've seen in quite a long time, including um, extended shots of full frontal male nudity. Uh, it, it's but you've
0: it, just watched uh, the male, the male, the Human Centipede two, didn't? Yeah, you? Yeah, I
2: know. And this is this is this was somehow because Human Centipede two is in black and white. It's very uh, gritty. Mm. Something about this movie, it's much more difficult to watch in parts because of how kind of it's in high def, and you're really you're you're really seeing that penis in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um. And it's not funny. It's not it's not a funny film. It's not a funny movie at all. Um, it's had loads of loads of good reviews. It is a very well-made film. Uh the two uh writer directors um clearly are passionate about the subject matter that they're that they're you know covering. And mm-hmm. if you are if that's the kind of film that you're interested in, if you if you, you know, seek out um, you know tough watches like this then um it's probably worth your time the only criticism the main criticism i have is it's 107 minutes long and it's it's a very simple story and it could probably get in and out in 90 minutes flat and have the same impact mm. if not more impact by being a, just a bit faster paced it it, it tell mm. it's it's very keen on having the chronology of the story be completely out you know non linear so you see you see events and then you see the events that led up to those events later and it kind of loops back on itself mm. And it is good. It's well made and worth watching, uh, you know, if that's the kind of thing that you um, seek out. But I wanted slightly, I don't know, I came away from it feeling like I'd expected slightly more from it than than I got. But it was good. It's a good film. Can't complain. Then I watched uh, All the Way on the Other Side immediately after it finished, actually, because I was like, I need something funny, um, similar to you with Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. And I went on Netflix and I watched the new um, Netflix comedy starring Eric Andre and Lil Rel Howery, Bad Trip. Have you heard of that? Ah, yeah, yeah. Have mm. you seen it at all? Or
0: No. No. no.
2: So it's, um, it's in the vein of a Borat or a Jackass film mm. where it's kind of members of the public unwittingly being um, the centre of pranks. Um, But it's different from those mainly because it stars Eric Andre, who's a comedian with a sense of humour that veers into the dark and surreal. And um, the movie kind of has that tone all the way through of just being completely... Like, for example, the, the opening sketch is that he's playing a man working in a garage doing detailing on cars he gets the guy comes in to have his car cleaned. Uh, Eric Andre's wearing this jumpsuit and he asks the man to turn the vacuum cleaner on and the vacuum cleaner just completely rips off all of Eric Andre's clothes and leaves him completely naked in the middle of this garage and ends up hiding in this guy's car. And that's 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 quite intense to start with. And then I think the next main scene is he's working in a smoothie shop and the whole load of stuff happens and then the scene just ends with him like accidentally putting his hand in the blender and a fountain of blood just like squirting out of it and all these members of the public <laughs> there in the shop just have an absolute panic and run out it's and it's it's kind of that like quite close to the line uh comedy <laughs> similar to what you were talking about with mike and dave in wedding dates in a way but done with slightly more flair and interest um mm. And I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really funny, and it made me laugh. It, it's quite a tough watch if you find cringe comedy difficult because there are some sequences that are so awkward. But Eric Andre is really funny. Lil Rel Howery, who is the guy, he plays the best friend in Get Out. He's the TSA agent in Get Out.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. He's
2: really funny in it. He doesn't do quite as much stuff with the public as uh, Eric Andre does because I think he was a bit. he's not quite as used to that sort of thing. And then Tiffany Haddish plays uh, the next main character because the story oh. is that... Awesome. they've stole she's in prison he's mm. he's her brother is little well howry and they steal her car to drive to new york um for reasons that don't really matter but um <laughs> she gets out of prison <laughs> and chases after them to get her car back that's mm. kind of the plot of the film so there's also scenes of her like there's a scene where she like smashes a police car window and steals a police car in front of a load of people who obviously don't know it's a film <laughs> that's pretty funny <laughs> um yeah so it's it's good I enjoyed it. Bad trip. Big recommendation there for certain. Uh, Next, I've done a bit of prepping for the future this week as well. First of all, uh, in May, there's a new Saw film coming out called Spiral from the Book of Saw. (laughs) So to prepare for that, I want to go through all of the Saw movies. And so far, I've watched Saw 1 and Saw 2, which it's been a while since I've watched either of those. And they are wonderful (laughs) You ever seen a Saw movie, Alex?
0: No. 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 That stuff just makes me want to vom.
2: Fair enough. Uh, The first Saw movie (laughs) is not what you think it is. It's like the first Saw film is a very low budget attempt to do something in the vein of Seven, if you know what I mean. Like it's kind of a serial killer thriller movie. And then from Mm. Saw 2 onwards, and especially from Saw 3 onwards, it turns more and more into kind of like, Big traps full of gore, and it's like a theme park ride where blood's being sprayed all over the place, kind of thing. But the first one is is does sort of work still as just a a quite a gritty filler with some good twists in it and stuff, and really enjoyable. And then the second movie, you have a lot of time in that film spent with Tobin Bell, who plays Jigsaw, who's sort of a character actor, and his performance as the villain Jigsaw in these movies is like one of the main reasons to watch them because he's incredibly charismatic and interesting to watch on screen. Uh, and really enjoyable. So, you know, if you've never checked them out and if you're like Alex, Alex a bit squeamish about them, maybe give the first one a go because it's not what you think it is. And the first one, it's not a masterpiece, but it's, it's a good Seven-esque thriller. But then give the sequels a miss probably if, you, if you're not ready for some, uh, some gore because they do get quite unpleasant. The scene in the second movie where a character gets thrown into a pit full of syringes is is difficult to watch. But an exciting horror movie. Uh, so that was Saw and Saw 2. After that, I watched... Last night, I watched a, a 2021 blockbuster, which was exciting. I sat down, I put on Amazon Video, and I rented for a home premiere, Godzilla versus King Kong.
1: Yeah!
0: Yes,
2: please. <laughs> the latest <laughs> film...
0: Have they not already done a uh, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla? They
2: did one in like the Is 70s, not? but it, not like a recent film, no.
0: Yeah, it hasn't, been recent. Has, hasn't Godzilla been against someone recently?
2: Yeah, so they did. So there's a whole kind of monsterverse that they've been building up where they did, I think 2014, they did Godzilla with Gareth Edwards, which I think I saw yeah. in the cinema with you potentially in Japan. Um, then they did Kong Skull Island with uh, Brie Larson's in that, Samuel Jackson's in that. That's like a 70s okay. period piece where they, you know, it's a King Kong movie. Then they mm. did Godzilla King of the Monsters, where he fought a load of different sort of iconic Godzilla monsters okay. from, from, you know, old Japanese movies. Yeah. And then they've brought them together now and they've done Godzilla versus Kong. It's directed by Adam Wingard, who's a director I really love. He directed The Guest, which I talked about in the Top 5 Final yeah. Shots episode. He also directed the Blair Witch uh, reboot recently, which I liked despite everyone else disliking. Um, i think he made your next as well and what else he did the death note movie for netflix which again i liked as an adam wingard movie because i like his style people didn't Mm. like it as a death note film (laughs) adaptation and that's fine but i liked it Godzilla vs. Kong stars Millie Bobby Brown, who you all know from Stranger Things. It stars Julian Dennison, who you all know from Hunt for the Wilder People. It stars
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, Alexander Skarsgård, who you all know from Big Little Lies. It stars Rebecca Hall, who you all know from a whole range of awesome things. Uh, who else is in this movie? Lance Reddick is in this movie for like literally about 30 seconds. Um, I'm trying to... It's got it's got such a massive cast. Uh it's got loads of people in it, and none of them matter. It's, it's more than any of the other Godzilla or King Kong movies. This is a film where the human characters, I couldn't tell you the name of a single one of them. Millie Bobby Brown and um, Julian Dennison play two teenagers who are trying to find out about some conspiracy thing. You could literally pull their characters out of the film, and they would have no impact on the overall plot. They're fine, and I like Millie Bobby Brown and Julian Dennison, and it's all right for them to be in it. Um, but you could take out their sequences and the movie would play out pretty much exactly the same way, if you see <laughs> what I mean. They don't have any impact mm-hmm. on it. The plot of the film is that Godzilla, who is broadly a protector of humanity, has started attacking uh, human set cities again. People aren't sure why. Um, on the other side of the world, Kong is living in a giant, <laughs> this giant. Um, like and when I say giant I mean like the size of a city they've constructed this sort of cage bubble thing over um, King Kong on Skull Island where he doesn't even really know that he's in an enclosure that's how big it is Um, and the sky it's like it's almost like the Truman Show it's like King Kong is living in his own (laughs) personal Truman Show he doesn't know that he's sort of trapped in this place like I said, the film opens with him throwing a big tree at the, at the wall and it smashes it, but even then he doesn't seem to know. But he's, he, he's learned sign language and he's communicating <laughs> with this little girl and he's kind of, again, a broadly a good guy. There's a technology company that wants to find a new energy source because this movie, in a H.P. Lovecraft uh, kind of riff, this, these movies take place on an Earth where there is a hollow Earth and then there's a smaller Earth, like inside our Earth, under the crust, if you see what I mean. Okay. Uh, which is like a real Victorian-era fantasy idea that mm. isn't used much in fiction nowadays because it's so obviously nonsense and ridiculous. <laughs>
0: yeah. But yeah. these
2: movies just, like, you just accept that that's the world that these movies are saying. Okay. So this company wants King Kong because of some genetic memory he has, air quotes there, um, to guide them through the hollow earth to the energy source um, so that they can, I don't know, have a better energy source. (laughs) As soon as they release King Kong from his enclosure on Skull Island, Godzilla, who wants to be the alpha monster or whatever, (laughs) comes and attacks King Kong. They have a big bust up. They, some other stuff happens, and then again, they have a big fight. They have a couple of big fights in the movie, and that's really the highlight of the film. And do you know what? It's a pretty good time. Uh, Godzilla's advantage in his ability to fight is that um, he can breathe radioactive breath out of his mouth. Pretty useful uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. Godzilla, of course, is a primate. He can use tools. He finds an axe where the blade is like a dead Godzilla's... You know, Godzilla's got the spines on his back the the blade of the axe is one of those and it glows blue with godzilla's radiation and king kong's hitting godzilla with this axe it's ridiculous but it was a really fun time and i really enjoyed it and um i'd recommend people go and check it out if they would like a you know a modern day 2021 blockbuster you can't you could do much worse than godzilla versus kong in my opinion and um i don't want to spoil the ending but there's a third um iconic godzilla monster in the movie that turns up at the end and it's pretty fun having that on on the big screen as well so you'll have to see the film to see who that is but it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty cool i think i liked it so yeah and the final thing to talk about is um again at the end of this year there's a film coming out called the many saints of newark which is a prequel movie to the popular hbo tv show the sopranos yeah um, so it's set in The Many States of New York is going to be set in 1967 uh, James Gandolfini's son is playing Tony Soprano in it which I think is really cool because um, obviously James, mm-hmm. James Gandolfini's passed away sadly and uh, can't play himself as a, as a teenager either so um, his son's What? Yeah James Gandolfini died a few years ago like in 2015 maybe 2016 somewhere around then when we were living in Japan he passed away God about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's horrible. Oh, no. So his son, who does look like a young James Gandolfini, is stepping into the role of Tony Soprano, which must be a, a, an emotional moment for him. Mm. Um, but you look like John Burnfall. who's playing, um, I think, Tony Soprano's dad. Who else is in it? It's got a really good cast. Uh, Vera Farmiga's playing um, Livia Soprano. Anyway, I've never watched The Sopranos all the way through, even though I've spoken about it on the top five on-screen food, how much I like it. But I never actually got through all of it, so I've decided to start from the beginning, go through The Sopranos, and hopefully finish it properly in time for the film. So I've watched almost all of the first season of The Sopranos this week. Amazing! And, um, it's just—have you ever watched it? Have you, ever... yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I think I watched the first two seasons.
2: Yeah, it's it's perfect. And like mm. the highlight of the early seasons is his mum, who is played by I think Nancy Marchand is the actress, and she is absolutely perfect as um, Tony Soprano's yeah. like horrible mother. Um but then you've got you've got like Junior Soprano, Tony Soprano, Paulie, mm. Christopher. It's it's just such an amazing cast of people. And what you forget, or what I forget about it, is how funny it is. It's one of the f-
0: Yeah. For
2: a serious drama, it's got to be just about the funniest drama HBO have ever done, I think. It's so, so hilarious um throughout the first season. You've got iconic episodes like but in particular the one where he takes Meadow on a college tour. And sees a mm-hmm. um, an FBI informant who's in witness protection. He happens to see him and recognize him, and then like he's a, he has to balance taking Meadow around these universities on this tour with trying to track down this guy and uh, take his revenge on him. And that's like kind of the Sopranos in a nutshell. Is like how a suburban man um, mm. in modern day can also be a mob boss, and it's it's great. The Sopranos is brilliant. I'm excited to get through the rest of it, um, but so far I'm about a season in, and it's just it's just great. Well, yeah, let me, like the cast of the many states of Newark. You've got John Burnfall, Corey Stahl, Michael Gandolfini, Billy Magnusson, Leslie Odom Jr., who plays Aaron Burr in, in uh, Hamilton, is going to be in it. Uh, Ray Liotta is going to be in it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, yeah, it's, and the, the plot is described as it is set in the 1960s and 1970s in Newark, New Jersey, using the 1967 riots in the city as a backdrop for tensions between the Italian American and African American communities which sounds like it could be, um, you know, a pretty great film. So I'm really looking forward to Mm. that. So that's Culture Catch-Up. Let's get into... Oh, Let's move on and get into homework. I like it. Sit down at the back and be quiet and get out your book because it's time to discuss your homework. Now.
0: Homework time. Yes. Yes, Please. So, uh, last week we talked about our the our top five uh, '80s films, and your number one was was it the number one?
2: No, it's number two. Number one was The Shining.
0: Your number, yeah, number two was John, the 1982 John Carpenter's The Thing, because there's also another The Thing. Is it a well, remake? The, the other thing,
2: yeah. So there's the thing from another world. I think it was called that was very old mm. movie. And John Carpenter's yes. thing is technically a remake of that, but they're so different that you it's difficult to really call it a remake. If you see what I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah. So in in like basically the the film, well the film uh, stars the the person I know is uh, Kurt Russell. Yeah. And then there's another one that I've seen in probably like some 80s film, but I'm not really sure. But Kurt Russell is the star of the film and he plays Mac Ready. And then I love their names. It's like Dr. Blair, Nails, Palmer, Childs, yeah, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Copper. You know, they, I love the names and they all use their like surnames. It's pretty fun. Yeah. But yeah, it's about a research team who is in Antarctica and is... Um, is haunted by a shape-shifting alien that uh, assume... The appearance of its victims. So uh, the first shot of the film is pretty cool. It starts with this like, you know, this helicopter and then there's a dog and you go, are they related? What's going on? Why is there <laughs> a dog where well, there's an helicopter? And then the guys in the helicopter try to kill the dog. And then it all starts from there. Yes. And um, the the dog is a brilliant actor.
2: Yeah, it's a good like, dog. Like, answer, I was yeah.
0: <laughs> that was a good dog. Like I, I was, I was like, why are they trying to kill the dog? And then the dog, I was like, that's why they tried. And it, you, you kind of, you're still also going to have it with the dog. You go, yeah. And while I was watching the film, I realized exactly what the problem I've had with uh, The Invitation and... Um, what's it called? The other one, the, the Lighthouse. Oh, yeah. It's not just attention; tension. It's building a sinister atmosphere. Right. It has to feel sinister. It cut, you know, and from the get-go, from this dog, this film s- gives you this. In this starts with this sinister atmosphere. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. it's like okay, we're up for something good, and you know the, everything they do is not really. You go, oh, why are you doing that? You know, they decide after the uh, after the guys in the in the chopper that was trying to kill a dog tried to shoot them. Yeah. Then they go, oh, let's go to the other base camp. And then, they, and you go, don't go to the other base camp. But then they go to the other base camp, and then they find something, and they go, oh, let's bring this damn thing back. It's like, don't bring that thing back, and they do, and <laughs> it's just like, and that's already kind of creating kind of like a sinister tension that you go, okay. And the the dog was amazing. Like the when the dog looks outside the window, yeah. Like, the hell are you also i feel like how it shot the scenery at the beginning is it shows how how far from anything they are yeah they're you know, totally it's, isolated you know from one camp to the other camp is mm. an hour yeah. on a chopper you know it's it they're far they yeah. they if something happens they are uh screwed and yeah and um <laughs> i love the fact that the doctor uh, when they bring the alien back he dissects so they bring this alien back they found something in the other thing and it's not an alien but it's just this deformed thing and the the doctor uh, just um, decides to dissect this thing but just with some gloves no mask, no protective gear. I like I'm just gonna go in this. That's this how thing they did it in the eighties. They just. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. And they all alcohol. They all drink a lot. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy on skates. That is like really proper eighties movies. The hair, yep. the the way they talk, and um, and then um, what what I what I re well, first of all I I I really enjoy this film. I I. I thought it was brilliant. So a lot of stuff in this film happens... Off camera. Right. So that yeah. is like, who the hell is the thing? Mm-hmm. And so Doc, at one point, goes crazy and does something. And you're like, oh, yeah, he wants to try and save them. But then he doesn't want to try and save them. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and you go, no. And then you go, because you think, oh, well, he doesn't want the world to get destroyed by this thing. Yeah. And so he he starts to, he, st- he goes crazy. And you go, oh, he's trying to save them. But he's not trying to save them. And so he gets put in isolation. And then, um, and then like there's one scene at the beginning where the dog goes in a room, and then there's and then you forget about this dog going in this room. And then there's one scene to at the end where they do towards the end where they do a test with the blood. Yeah, where the guy says this is a crock of shit, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> this is a crock of shit. I love that uh, that thing, and and then the test works, and what happened? An hour before that, you have forgotten, proves that he has been yeah. the thing all along. Yeah. And you go, oh, and I jumped at that point.
2: Well, because <laughs> like, it's it's perfectly constructed, where you really don't it's think that that's going to so... be the one, and it just psh,
0: no, comes out of that. Little you don't blood. think that's going to be the one exactly, and it was just ah, uh, it was, um, it, it was just a setup. It was so well made. The, the how things are done and and. And who do you think it is? And and, you, and then you go... And you don't need many answers in the film. And you think, well, does the thing... Can the thing think... Is it a complete... At one point I was thinking, can the thing completely absorb even the memories? So yes, it can, because it could have been anyone. Yeah. But then we didn't see those characters for a while. So were they different? We don't know. Yeah. Uh, it just... It, there's so much stuff that happens behind that then comes to the forefront to the, to the to the front, yeah that you go, "Oh, what's happening? Why is everybody not together? Stay all together. Everybody <laughs> all together at all times. But then when they go and get the other doctor and they leave one behind, you go, "Oh no, don't leave that guy behind." So it I, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was brilliant. I yeah, it was gruesome in some parts. Oh, yeah. um, Did it get you with
2: the, when was, the chest opens up?
0: Oh. <laughs> 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 i was like i literally just because i thought oh is gonna happen i was not expecting that and then david just, and then fuck ah! <laughs> yeah 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 and then the, head, and the,
2: the ending head crab is... spider thing
0: but oh it was, it was gross it is it gross really yeah bad. I I thought that was really well constructed film. It was tense. It had sin it was sinister. It just gave you what it's supposed to give you. Yeah. Like you And know, then it's got a great I, nihilistic I ending, hasn't it? The ending is amazing. Yeah. The ending is amazing. And in fact, when I was researching my last shot, um I saw a lot of a lot of uh, um a lot of um lists had to the thing, yeah, it's and definitely I think it is is a, it's a good. great uh, I think it's a great last shot, and i I really I really enjoyed it. I thought it was and Ennio Morricone is does the score, which yeah. is you know if if Ennio Morricone does a film score, then the film and is going to be good.
2: Tarantino was heavily inspired by the thing when making hateful Eight, and he reuses some of Ennio Morricone's score from the thing. In the Hateful Eight, because that's another people I trapped can... together in the cold, and you don't know who's good and who's bad. Obviously, there's no alien, oh, but yeah. it's a very like it's very uh, inspired by it.
0: Wow, yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's 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 a good it's a good film. It just uh, you 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 can't trust anyone. Then you start trusting someone, and then you can't trust them anymore. And then uh, it's just. Yeah, and then and then you know, and you what they do at the end, you know exactly why in the other camp they did the same thing. Yeah, and every every everything is just kind of connects together, and you go, oh, yeah. And, so there's uh, a, no, I...
2: there's a mm. 2011 movie called The Thing, which was mm. sold as a remake of this thing, but is actually mm. secretly a prequel, and it's the story mm. of the other camp and it ends with the helicopter that's where that movie ends um the wow you should if you really liked the thing you should probably check it out and see what you think the the thing that makes it not as good is the all of the effects of CGI in that one and it isn't it it's not even close to the how good the practical effects are in um
0: but, the effects it, are but it does so have good. a woman
2: in it imagine that a woman in a movie after watching the thing you could believe that that's impossible
0: yeah 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 no. um yeah, but it just it just yeah, I don't know I, I I really yeah, I really enjoyed it, I thought it was really good I, I thought it was
2: um my favorite bit of that movie because I watched it again uh, at the weekend because I knew because I love it so much and I wanted to talk about it. My favorite bit of it is when the guy gets caught halfway through turning into the thing and he runs out into the snow and they all come and surround him, and he's got he's, his hands are still all weird, and he just yeah. looks up at them and starts going. Aah! it's just so <laughs> sinister and creepy and horrible uh and yeah. then they set him on fire obviously but it's yeah. it's great it is it is yeah. a great movie i'm glad you liked it um yeah
0: and you were and Loved you were okay Matt with Russell. the with the
2: gore it wasn't too much
0: yeah yeah that was fine that was fine yeah you know it was pretty gross and that was fine yeah i just i think i need to figure out what i don't enjoy in certain like horror, thriller things. I definitely don't think I enjoy like gore with people. I get the impression you know, that like, people, like, you know, sometimes when you when you look at a think...
2: film on a DVD case and it tells you what's in mm. the movie, sometimes yeah. it will say uh, features injury detail, and I I think that that's the thing that you don't like is like yeah, quite specifically showing get... a human being hurt and injured.
0: Yeah, which is fair. Yeah. That's not a
2: very nice thing to see.
0: Exactly. So that's why I don't think I can watch like Saw or that kind of uh, the hostel kind of thing. Yeah. I just, I just don't like people giving pain to other people. Yeah. I don't like. I don't like that. It just because it, it happens. That I feel. I feel like it because it's an alien. I feel like it's more kind of like I don't mind zombie movies because they're zombies. But I think when it could be real. Yeah. It kind of really. Messes, I don't like it. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great pick, good choice. The thing I Thank thought, you. like proper eighties movie film, uh, good. You know, yeah, yeah,
2: good. good film. So I'm glad. I'm really glad. Uh, you should watch more John Carpenter movies, Alex. Because
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah. After this, I was like, I'm gonna watch more John Carpenter movies because I think I think is good. He's actually got uh, He's got an
2: Apocalypse trilogy, uh, which are only connected in theme, and that's the first film in that trilogy, and also The Prince of Darkness, which is a great movie, and In the Mouth of Madness. So uh, both of those are worth watching, if you liked The Thing, for sure. Mm. My homework was <laughs> to watch your favourite film of the 80s, the 1987 yeah. science fiction comedy movie, Inner Space. Um, yeah. Which was direct- yeah. Which I'd somehow never seen before directed by Joe Dante who's an amazing director he made gremlins and gremlins 2 uh, and on that's on that alone he's a you know he's an incredible legend of a man uh, it stars Dennis Quaid in what's got to be the easiest job of Dennis Quaid's entire career uh, Martin Short and Meg Ryan along with uh, a few other actors it's about Ooh. it's hard to describe it's got the most absurd plot of any yeah. film I've ever seen. Yeah. But broadly speaking, there is a laboratory where they've developed a technology in which they can shrink uh, yeah. somebody down in like a pod to mm-hmm. microscopic size, put them in a syringe, and then inject them into a body. Why do they want to do that? I guess you could imagine that there'd be uh, research it's implications. It's a cool thing to be yeah. able to do. Yeah. It involves... <laughs> In order to be able to do this, they it, 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 in, in, in a way that only movies in the 80s uh, use this idea, it involves a computer chip. And it's like a computer <laughs> chi- Not a computer, just a specific chip. Not like a piece of software that's been saved on a computer. No, there's a chip that needs to be used to do it. Um, Dennis Quaid is a pilot, an American pilot, who is yeah uh, doesn't do things by the essay. book. But he no. gets results, and uh, yes. Meg Ryan is his ex-girlfriend. Who the she breaks up yes. at the start of the movie in a pretty great scene that ends with Dennis Quaid stood in the street with no clothes on. Enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and he is hired as a test subject for the first human test of the of the space of the, of the of the of the shrinking down a person thing. Yeah, he gets shrunk down to microscopic size. He gets injected into a needle, and uh oh. En- enemy terror, enemy terrorists have arrived to
0: yeah.
2: steal the technology or something. The lead yeah. scientist but grabs the syringe. But to steal Dennis Quaid, really. What?
0: <laughs> just steal Dennis Quaid, really. Yeah, to
2: steal Dennis Quaid, I guess. <laughs> they
0: want to Dennis Quaid.
2: The- or they want the computer chip as well. Though that's the key thing is yeah. that you need the chip. So the lead scientist steals a syringe, <laughs> escapes, yeah. and ends up in a shopping centre where he encounters Martin Short, who is yeah. Um, a treasure, and there should be more Martin Short movies because the man is yeah, incredible I, in this
0: film. He's and so good. It's so good, isn't he? He's
2: just lovely. This facial
0: expression in this film, like what he does, is yeah. so good. He
2: plays Jack Putter, a man who works in a supermarket and is um, a hypochondriac. And yeah. um, <laughs> he, this, so he's waiting for a lift, and the lift comes, and the scientist falls out of the lift and injects Dennis Quaid into Martin Short's leg. Now, if a man injected something into me in a shopping centre, I would absolutely lose my mind and go immediately to a hospital. Martin Short just goes, oh, that was weird, and just goes to work.
0: Which is... It was the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) It was the 80s. People were injecting stuff into you all the time. It was fine. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. and then we and then the, that's this is the film basically is that Dennis Quaid is trapped inside Martin Short he's in this little pod there's only so much oxygen in it the bad guys have the chip that they need in order to make him bigger again Martin Short is not an action hero so Dennis Quaid has to by he can go he can like hook into Martin Short and talk to him through his ear I guess has to direct him to uh save the day and um and all of this, and he goes up against the bad guys, and uh, yeah, that's the film. It's yeah, it's, I can't say anything negative about this movie. It's it's a really fun time in the way that, like, I don't know, Honey I Shrunk the Kids is a movie that's similar to this, I guess. Like wacky yeah. science fiction comedy nonsense yeah. that only exists in the eighties because if you made this movie yeah. today, it would it would get too involved in its own science if you see what i mean whereas this film is just happy to be like no we shrink him down by spinning him around a bunch and then he's tiny uh there's a there's a there's there's a scene where dennis quaid can make can like force martin short's face to look different so that he can impersonate somebody else And it's almost the thing, like I was watching this and I was like, well, Alex will be fine with the thing because this is more horrifying than anything that happens in the thing as Martin Short's face starts like pulsating and changing into the face of Robert Picardo. Um, Utterly bonkers. There's a bit where the bad guys get shrunk down to 50% of their size and then they're like in the backseat of this car and there's some great forced camera angle trickery to make these two actors look like they're literally half as big as they should be. Uh, and they're like fight, they're like trying to stop Martin Short by from driving and they've got like these fake arms covering his eyes with these little hands and stuff. It's so weird. Um,
0: it's so weird. I love it. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, but
2: it's a fun no, I really enjoyed it. It's a good movie. I'm glad that I fight because I would never I would never have sat down and watched Inner Space if you hadn't told me to watch it. And I really, really liked it. Um it's just completely goofy. It's probably and this is just this is just a complaint I have about a lot of films. It's a hair too long at two hours, but other than that, I'm not going to complain about it. It's great.
0: Okay. It's a great. Film. You in... yeah, yeah. I guess it could be. It's
2: think, not a big think, problem. I'm not, not like an saying hour and it's and terrible.
0: It's but... a good. But I understand what you mean. An hour and a half is a good time for a film.
2: Oh, get in and out in ninety minutes, and you've got me. I, I will watch that film, whatever it is. For two hours, I need to like have some guarantee that I'm going to have a really good time. And I did. Well, I did enjoy it. I great. think
0: it's so silly. It just—it's just the—it's just an 80s movie that it just you know things happen for you know they happen and that's it. You don't have to explain anything, and it's fun. And you know Dennis Quaid is cool.
2: He, I mean, I he's great. Dennis. I messaged you when I was watching it because I was a bit like, yeah. Dennis Quaid was the 80s attempt to find a new Harrison Ford, and he sort of he did the job. I think uh, he's great. He's really really good. I like him in stuff mm. when he pops up nowadays as well. But he's very much a Harrison Ford type of like a square jawed action hero, cool guy, uh, yeah. likes likes a drink, likes the Fully American. feel of a woman. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: what it likes the feel of, of a you woman.
2: You know, the way that okay. men in the 80s did. Anyway, moving on. So, so that's homework. Okay. That was great. I enjoyed In A Space. Great. Thank you for making him watch it. It was positive all around this week, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, we did it. Yes, Sometimes please. we get along.
2: We do. Shall we get yes, into our please. top five?
0: Five, four, three, two, one, our top five.
2: Um, you're gonna yes. start. What's your number five?
0: Yeah. Oh well. So this week I have only English bands, which is weird. I think I don't know why, but I think maybe in the eighties I enjoyed more British bands.
2: Interesting. Four of mine are American, and one of mine is British. So, really? Mm.
0: Um, mine are I. What I enjoyed from the eighties is the synthesize, synth, synthesizer, kind of like proper like eighties. Was it? Is it mod? Electronic.
2: Yeah, oh. like electronic. New ro- new, yeah. Romantic, New Wave, that kind of new
0: thing. New Romantic, yeah, yeah. So uh, my number five um, is a band, a rock band, apparently. I didn't never thought it was a rock band. Um, a rock band formed in Manchester in 1982 wow. when The Thing was released. And That's my number huge. five is The Smiths.
2: Oh, lovely stuff.
0: The Smiths. Yeah. I love the Smiths. So, the Smiths cont- uh, consist of uh, vocalist Morrissey, mm-hmm. who is now gone. Let's absolutely. just, you know
2: what? Let's just not go not, into let's it. Let's not talk He's about Morrissey. He's awful. I okay. hate him and we'll, we'll leave it there.
0: <laughs> so, I like the Smiths, but yeah, the the, the vocalist, the main guy, uh, Morrissey, uh, guitarist Johnny Ma, who is lovely. Oh, love <laughs> yeah. Uh Andy Rook is the bassist and drummer Mike uh, Joyce. And um they uh they're not together anymore. They broke Ooh. up in 1987 mm. because of um um stuff going on in uh, the band. And um what else? Uh I love the Smiths. I think um they I could just listen all day to The Smiths and just be happy and just I love Morris's voice. I think it worked. Uh I love the songs. Um I was I also put my favorite song, I think, that I have. And I think my favorite song of the Smith is Sound How Soon Is Now?
2: That's a lovely, wonderful song.
0: I I love that song. And uh they I think I think they just uh, great, I think they have a sound of their own uh, Nobody else sounds like the Smiths I think they're ageless um, I, 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 I really like them I, I think they're great Do
2: you know how old Johnny Marr was when the Smiths broke up? Uh, no So that he had written all of those incredible songs He'd done all of the Smiths' work And he was 24 when they broke up Wow 24 years old no, just amazing. Yeah,
0: that is amazing. Because
2: he's what he's. I mean, his guitar work in The Smiths. I mean, that's the thing. Is it's it's Johnny Mars. Um, it's it's Morrissey's voice and then Johnny Mars guitar and like that, it's just magical. that's a power. That's like a Lennon McCartney level powerhouse. Yeah, songwriting yeah. team, and they did produce. Yeah. I saw a few years ago in Japan at Fuji Rock Festival. Ooh. I saw Johnny Marr live and he sang. Uh. I don't know why you weren't there Alex. <laughs> why was I? I don't know, but I saw Johnny Moore at that at that festival and he sang "There is a light that never goes out" and I stood in a field in Japan and I cried because I was so overcome with emotion at seeing uh that man sing that song. Um and perf- you know perform that song. It was yeah. I I think they're a good pick. The Smiths are wonderful.
0: They're amazing and I was listening to them today because I I just I just love them and um, I didn't listen to them for a while and then you know Adam Buxton had um, uh, Johnny Marr great episode and uh, in know in a really good episode and then and then for like a while I just listened to the Smiths and uh, yeah I just I just think they're great and uh, they they're, they're the Smiths mm. they're amazing and unique and wonderful yeah so yeah that's good. my number five good shout what what would they be mod no the smiths are not mod are the smiths
2: they smiths are sort of proto-indie they're like early indie post-punk you might call early...
0: them yeah okay early indie post-punk mm. okay
2: yeah, yeah, yeah not mods mods is more the who
0: the who yeah the who are more mods yeah, yeah.
2: that was a slightly okay. earlier sort of thing wonderful a wonderful pick uh, my number five is um very different <laughs> Uh, my number five is the American heavy thrash metal group, Metallica.
0: Metallica.
2: Metallica. I'm wearing a Metallica T-shirt right now. You
0: can see it. Oh, yes.
2: Um, they are from San Francisco. Uh, they feature vocalist James Hetfield, drummer Lars Ulrich, uh, guitarist Kirk Hammett and currently bassist Robert Trujillo. But in the past, uh, Jason Newsted and Cliff Burton have been their bassists uh, as well, mm. iconically. So, um, and in the 80s, they had albums such as *Kill 'Em All*, *Ride the Lightning*, *Master of Puppets*, and *Justice for All*. Four of the best heavy metal albums ever recorded, ever. And since the 80s, they've continued to just destroy it with things like *The Black Album*, uh, *Saint Anger*. No, what am I talking about? That album's awful. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean St. Anger. Please, if you're listening and you know Metallica, don't assume that I like St. Anger from that. That was a slip of the tongue. It's bad. Death, Magne- Death Magnetic, though, is an album I will stand up for. I like it a lot. And Hardwired to Self-Destruct, the most recent album, is brilliant. So even all the way up to 2016, they are still producing incredible work from their origins in the 80s. They basically, they're part of the big four fresh um, metal bands, along with Anthrax, Anthrax. Uh, Megadeth and Slayer, and for my money, they're the best of those. But I'm um, you know, people have strong opinions on that. I'm not going to argue with anyone, but I like Metallica the best, and they're just great. They combine really heavy music with mm. an ability to write incredibly accessible songs. So they're not sort of like some of those other bands, like Anthrax or Slayer, I find a bit difficult to get into, but there's a melodic like. Metallica can kind of balance melody with heavy kind of thrash in a way that not many other bands Mm. can, and they're they're all the better for it. I really like them. What's your opinion on Metallica, Alex?
0: I like Metallica. Yeah, I I really like Metallica. Um, They're a great band. Um, I love love, um, his voice. What's his name? James Hetfield. What's the guy? Yes, I really like his voice. His voice is wonderful. Um, One of the first songs I've ever heard of Metallica was like, Nothing Else Matters. uh, Nothing else else matters. I love, he's just so good at it. And, you know, he's, uh, although kind of being quite shouty, he also has got like a really deep, warm voice. And I, I really like that about them. And the fact that they look, they look like, quite normal guys yeah they do you know, have, they yeah, wear their yeah, yeah. jeans and like their shirt and, they, and they're just, just like you know they, they're like thrash metal it's pretty that's kind know, of what I like just, about
2: them is yeah like they look quite normal yeah. and they are quite goofy I don't know if you ever there's a documentary called Some Kind of Monster which um, mm. was sort of a making of documentary about that album Saint Anger but they also that album turned out to be really bad and you can kind of see why that is in the documentary which is fascinating and also they yeah. were going through group therapy during that time they had counseling <laughs> sessions as a band and they allowed oh, the documentary ma- they allowed the documentary makers access to the sessions so you get to see a lot of like you really get to see stuff that you wouldn't ordinarily get access to and it doesn't paint them in the best light it doesn't make them look like particularly good people and it's fascinating getting that insight into them but for me it makes them very like human and and relatable in yeah. a way and I I kind of really love them from that and they seem like a band that care about wow. their fans. The last time I saw them live was in Manchester a couple of years ago at the uh, Etihad Stadium, which is just huge. Mm. But they to—they have these cameras on wires above the stadium that can zoom right in, and they have these screens that are 40, 60 feet high, like as tall as a stadium, and the picture on them is in this incredible de- high definition like you've never seen. And it, you are able to feel almost as if you're on the stage with them. Uh, they did this thing at the end of the g- gig where he was playing... Um, I think it was Enter Sandman or or another song on his uh, guitar. And the camera was able to zoom right into his pick, his plectrum. So it was filling the screen. And on one side, it said Metallica. And then on the other side, I think it said like Manchester and then the date of the gig. So they'd had it specially made for that concert in particular. And they put it on the screen. And they obviously do that at every concert and stuff. It's it's, it's not as if that was a particularly special one, but they managed to make it feel like it was. Um,
1: Yeah. And
2: quite individual. And they're just lovely. They're just a lovely band. I love them. They're mm. great. So that's my number five pick is Metallica.
0: Good choice. I like it. Thank you. I think the Smiths should have gone to group therapy.
2: Yeah, maybe that would have, well, who knows? I don't think, I think one member of that band in particular is beyond help. So uh, just have to leave it. <laughs>
0: Not even mention his name anymore. Now that we're not talking about my number five. I don't want to get into knowledge. an. I don't want to get
2: into arguments with anyone who might listen to this about. Like I, I don't have the energy to argue about that man. He's. I just think he's awful. But anyway. <laughs>
0: yeah. Number Move four. On. What's your number four pick? Okay, my number four is another uh, British. Uh, rock band i guess uh which was formed in in the 70s but um they released also a couple of albums in the 19 uh it released three albums in the 1980s yeah and i kind of like you know when i think of them i, I do think of them as a, like an an 80s band and uh they are the police
2: the police
0: the police.
2: That's interesting.
0: Yeah. So the police are formed by uh the the singer. I think he also writes a lot of the song, Sting, and then uh yeah, on guitar, Andy Summers, and Stuart Copeland in drums and percussion Um I I really I really like the police because I think well, you know, whatever whatever opinion that we have of Sting now. I think they were um, you know, they were a good band that incorporated like different kinds of music in uh, and made them their own. Uh, Sting has got an incredible uh voice and um it's um I don't know. I just I just really, really like them. And I I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed it. I really used to enjoy them. In fact, my first ever concert was when I was I think I was 14 or 13 and Sting came to Bologna. Wow. And I asked my mother if I if she could take me and she took me to see Sting. <laughs> and we were basically in front row. And how
2: was that? Which was that?
0: amazing. It was amazing. I had the best time because I loved police then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so for me, when, like, you know, he did the sting, sting stuff. And I think at the time, there was that song, uh, it's a brand new day. Na, 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 na. So he sang all that stuff, but then he sang police stuff because he wrote it so he can't sing it. And it was beautiful. And I, everybody was waiting for that. <laughs> and uh, I, I just... Uh, I think they're they're really good. They didn't last for very long. Yeah, they only did five studio albums, and they were only together between from nineteen seventy seven to nineteen eighty three. I think they had a couple of reunions, but I I really I really like them. And um, uh, my one of my favorite songs from them is "Don't Stand So Close to Me." It's oh, like yeah. "Don't Stand."
2: That's a good tune.
0: Don't stand. Don't stand so close to me. And how, you know, uh, for example, um, you know, like I spoke in one of my favorite musicals, Moulin Rouge, they use Roxanne. Mm. So I think they were also very versatile as a band. And like P. Diddy did uh, Every Breath You Take oh, yeah. in the 90, in the 2000s, I think. And, you know, I think they're, they're just, you know, I think they're very fun, good and versatile band. I really message in a bottle. That was a pretty cool hit. I just really like the police and um, yeah. Don't judge me.
2: I won't judge you. It's a perfect, It's a good book. They've <laughs> they've written. I've never sat down. I've ne- they've never been a band that I've been a fan of. But obviously the you know Roxanne don't stand so close to me. I'm one of the all time great uh, bassist slash lead vocalist. comp uh, You don't get that very often.
0: Yes, <laughs> so yes, because it's, it's difficult. One. It's really difficult to do that. Yeah, isn't it?
2: yeah, I bet it is. I bet it's really challenging to do lead vocals and bass at the same time. So well done, Sting. Yeah. You're really uh, pushing well the done. boat out.
0: You are amazing. Yeah. I don't know how you are as a person now, but you were good at a time.
2: Uh, yeah. He's. I mean, he's. He, he comes across a bit bono esque doesn't he? Some quite often, a bit kind of pleased with himself. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. Let him be. Let him be.
0: Let him be. As long as you pay, it, as long
2: as Whoever you pay you your tax, be. mate. I'm happy.
0: Yeah, true. Pay your taxes, guys. Um, <laughs> that's cool. That's
2: a good shout. All right. My true. number four pick is a band that sort of straddled the 70s and 80s and then 90s into the 2000s as well. I've decided to place them into 80s, maybe slightly controversially, because they did have some of their biggest hits in the late 70s. But I don't know. I'm putting them in 80s. It is hmm. the iconic. The rambunctious, the incredible, the perfect, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Why are you looking at me like that? Is it?
0: Is it a band?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely a band. The E Street Band. Okay. What's wrong? Okay.
0: Well, is it not? Is it not like Bruce Springsteen and a backing band? No,
2: don't you don't you dare call the E Street Band a backing band.
0: Okay. No, but no, not the backing bands are bad. I'm just saying. No, but the East. Is it not Bruce Spring? Okay. The, I don't know. I don't know. I I don't. I don't
2: know. The E Street Band are like integral. Like it's a very separate thing. There is very Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band are a band. Like that is a very specific group of musicians. They are incredible, and I love them. And they are one of my. Mm. And you know they they exist as Bruce Springsteen's band, but I want them in my top 5 80s mm. bands. So they have to be. But it's Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Okay. Yeah.
0: That's fine. Um, yeah.
2: Featuring Steven Van Zandt, who plays uh, one of the lead roles in The Sopranos. Oh, very
0: nice. Yeah, the
2: guy who runs the Bada Bing nightclub with the quiff. He's in the street band. He's great. Mm. He's the guitarist. Clowns Clemens, the iconic saxoph- saxophonist. Um, I just love it. It's a nostalgic pick uh, because of my dad, mainly. Loves the loves uh, mm. Bruce Springsteen, the street band. I took him to see them live a few years ago at the Etihad Stadium, and they are incredible live. They don't have support acts. They just come on and play for three hours, basically. uh, They come on, and then they play until the venue tells them they have to stop playing. They're the kind of band who, if fans hold up um, signs with song names on them, they'll just play those songs, even if they haven't prepared them, even if they're not (laughs) Bruce Springsteen songs. if, If somebody holds up a Beatles song and a sign and they feel like it, they'll just play it. They're, just, it's, they're
0: like they're, a karaoke
2: machine. <laughs> kind of. And similar to Metallica in that way, they managed to make their gigs feel very personal and very like special for the mm. audience because they're so... Pearl Jam do it as well, actually, who are in my 90s bands list. Like they, they, they will change up their set list every night and do whatever they feel like doing that night, and they're just great. Um, mm. In the 80s, they released albums like Born in the USA, The River,
1: mm.
2: and Nebraska, which, to be fair, is more of a Bruce Springsteen solo project. But, um, you know, they also had pre-late 70s Born to Run, Darkness on the Age of Town. In recent years, stuff like Wrecking Ball, Working on a Dream, Magic, uh, The Rising, one of the great kind of post nine uh, eleven pieces of art. The Rising was Bruce Springsteen sort of contemplating how that kind of affected him. And because and, and obviously coming from New Jersey, that's very close to home. It, it, he's incredible. He's, he's an incredible man. I love him and I also love his band. So, yeah, they're my number four
0: pick. Awesome. Thank you. I like it. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, I, never, I never really got Bruce Princeton until I watched Blinded by the Light and I didn't really get Bruce <laughs> Princeton, but now I kind of get him.
2: Uh, so, have you listened to him much off that or?
0: No. <laughs> oh, no, but I will. Cool.
2: All right. <laughs> What's your number three? Uh,
0: my number three is, like I said, they're all British. So, it's another British band. Formed in 1978, but most of their albums were released in the 80s, and that is the band The Cure.
2: Oh, they were so close to being in my top five. I'm glad you've got them.
0: I, I... I, I discovered The Cure when I was a teenager and I thought they were brilliant. Yeah. And they're still brilliant. And um, uh, most people have changed in The Cure, but uh, Robbie Smith has been... <laughs> he's not going anywhere. <laughs> he's not going anywhere, thank God, because no. he's got an amazing voice. Yeah. and But he's the only constant member of The Cure. The Cure are just The Cure. And... Um, I know they have a they, they, their debut album was in 1979 mm. actually, yeah. With the fridge and, on the cover. Um, yeah. So they're kind of like post-punk, new wave, kind of the Cure kind of sound, isn't it? Like yeah. the Cure, sort the of Cure, goth, right? They, they're quite gothy. Yeah, yeah, they're gothy, but more like kind of a beat gothy. I feel. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Well, they they're, they're, they're I mean the range of like because they have really poppy music, but then they have incredibly yeah. dark. Um, you know, kind of atmospheric mood pieces. And yeah, their body of work is
0: huge. Yeah, exactly. Because also they've released so many albums between the 1978, 79 and 2008. Yeah. They released one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen 10, 11, 12, 13 albums incredible which is amazing and and they, they you know they've they evolved they changed they're different completely you know think about the Smith that like their sound is very similar I feel the cure kind of changed but you know with Robert Smith's voice is kind of you know they're the cure I just I just really love them and I and I think they're they're great and they I you know when you think about 80s I feel about you know the Cure. I just
2: I the only reason they my top five is that they I've never like their their body of work is so big that I don't I've never been able to get a full grasp on it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Like one of their best yeah. albums
2: is Pornography, and if you look at that yeah. album, there's none of the songs on it if, would be on their greatest hits. Like they're such a they're such mm. a big they're so big. Like you you could you could only listen to the Cure if you're a big Cure fan probably and be perfectly happy.
0: Yeah, and that's the, the only reason I listened to The Cure was because I had friends that really liked it. Yeah. And so I, I started listening to, to them because of that. But if not, I would have never listened to The Cure because, like you said, their body of work is huge. And I remember um, my friend bl- buying Blood Flowers in 2000 yeah. and me listening to that. It's like oh, this is interesting, and then uh, and then then she was like oh, if you like them, I've got all the rest. And she had like and I started listening to them. It was really it was really good. It's kind of like an acquired thing. But I just I was um also listening to them today, and I thought they were like great. They're just so so good. Yeah, and uh, you know, just like just like heaven. Has... Boys
2: don't cry. Pictures of you. Caterpillar. A forest. It just yeah, one of the all time best greatest hits albums as well for them.
0: Yes. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. So I. I think they're great. Robbie Smith still, still put still puts a um, lipstick on and still got his crazy hair. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's just him. He's great. Yeah. So my number three is The Cure. A good
2: choice. Okay. My number three is uh, a band, an iconic British band. The only British band on my list. Um. Formed in 1975, but released their debut album in 1980. Absolutely count as an 80s band for me, in my opinion. Um, They have released 16 studio albums since uh, Mm. 1980. They are the new... Ooh! Sorry? Yeah,
0: yeah. The new
2: new wave of British heavy metal band Iron Maiden. Yeah. Yeah?
0: I'm glad you put them. Why? Because yeah, I've got them in my honorable mentions because I think they're
2: so fun. I think they're the most, they're one of the most fun times you can have <laughs> is putting on some Iron Maiden. I really, really like them. Um, yeah. One of the all time great vocalists in Bruce Dickinson. Uh, the heart of the band is Steve Harris, the bassist. Um, you've also got Nico McBrain is their drummer. Um, Dave Murray, Adrian Smith, Janet uh, Gers is listed here. All wonderful people, but Bruce Dickinson's voice is just, for me, is the thing. And you've got through the 80s, they released a Baby Album, Iron Maiden, Killers, The Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind, Power Slave, Somewhere in Time, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. I mean, that is a run of just incredible albums. And then all the way up to 2015, they put out The Book of Souls, which is like probably they're mm-hmm. probably my favorite of their albums for the fact they've been going since 1980. And they put out what, in my opinion, is their best work in 2015 is just incredible. They are so, so good. They're one of the few bands I've managed to never see live, which is disappointing, and I'm hoping to get to see them uh, next year maybe. Um, but they are great. I went to see in the cinema a few years ago a documentary called, uh, what was it called, Route 666, I think? or Fly- No, Flight 666, uh, about yeah. their world tour, because they go on world tours on a jumbo jet that is piloted by their singer Bruce Dickinson because he have a, he has a pilot's mm. license and he flies yeah, he, he flies not just the plane the jumbo jet the jumbo jet <laughs> that they take around the world with them that has Iron Maiden written on the side in massive letters is piloted by the singer. I mean that is just the best. Um, and yeah, they've got songs like uh, the number of the Beast, uh, the Trooper, Run to the Hills, uh, Power Slave. Can I Play With Madness? I mean, it's just, it's a never ending list. They've got a couple of incredible greatest hits albums. Aces High is another one. And uh, I love them. They're brilliant. And I'm glad you like them as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they're fun.
2: Yeah. I like them. Good.
0: That's Nice. Yeah. Nice choice. Thank
2: you. So what's your number two?
0: My number two is another British band. Is a pop duo uh, that was formed in the 1980s. I think in nineteen eighty one, um, by Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart, Ooh. and the band is called the what well, is called Eurythmics.
2: Eurythmics.
0: Eurythmics is that Eurythmics? Uh, not. Eurythmics? Oh, I d- I,
2: d- I don't I don't know. I just that's how I say it. Ah,
0: okay, uh, sure so there are there are uh, uh, kind of pop uh, synth eighties. Uh, duo yep. and uh that yeah we saw what it is <laughs> i cuz you yeah, know the pups
2: fates duo it's a classic combo
0: yeah, so, yeah. It's top fin fates duo and um <laughs> i can't even see it and uh yeah so they have uh, they have they released a studio albums And uh, um, their first album wasn't very popular, uh, but the second album uh, was extremely popular and took them to success. And that was Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This, the fantastic song, Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This, which then got re-released and remade by Marilyn Manson. So they kind of like came, kind of brought them back in the 2000s, which was really interesting. Yeah. And uh, um, I I love Annie Lennox. I think she's got an amazing voice. I I, I love her as an artist. Uh, the first time I saw Annie Lennox when when she was singing um, "Under Pressure" with David Bowie oh, yeah. at um, and that was at the Freddie Mercury at the concert for Freddie Mer- Mercury. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and I I kind of loved her, and then I I just listened sporadically to their to their music mm. for you know not two albums, but you know uh, I I listened to a full album today, and I was like, yeah, you know I I knew I knew most of the songs, even though I didn't know the albums, and I thought, no, they're great. I I love them. I love her voice. Um, I love the kind of music they do, and I think uh, they're they're really great.
2: That's interesting. And. Uh, mm. I would say that I like them, but then in in actual fact, the only song I know is Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This or These.
0: The Sweet Dreams Are Made Of These?
2: These Nuts.
0: These Nuts? Uh, What album? Um, I think my aunt had one of their albums and I listened to it. That's why I know it. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. Uh, but also in 1999, they released another album, which was I thought it was uh, they kind of reunited because they used to be a couple and then they split up, mm. and they released another album, um, uh, which is called We Two Are One. So they kind of in Italy they were very popular, yeah. and uh, yeah, and then also with Marilyn Mans- Manson doing the cover, they got more popular. So. I, I, I listened to them quite a bit and I thought they were good. Nice. And I like them. i glad. Yes.
2: Good choice. I do like Annie Lennox. She's great. Mm. She's a cool lady. Nice. Okay. Yeah. My number two pick is a band who, uh, they started in the 80s. Uh, sorry, no, they started in the 70s. Uh, they released their debut in 1977. Uh, but they released what is probably regarded as their best album in 1980 and then continued to kind of define the music scene in the 1980s and I I think are kind of indelibly linked with the 1980s ultimately. It is the New York based American rock band, or not the, just Talking Heads.
0: Talking Heads.
2: Talking Heads.
0: Nice.
2: uh, Made up of David Byrne, Chris France, Tina Weymouth and Jerry Harrison. And uh, they've released albums during the 80s like Remain in Light, which is a masterpiece. Speaking in Tongues, Little Creatures, True Stories, and Naked. I adore this band. They have got so many albums. I mean, so many songs I just think are incredible. I mean, if I open up one of their greatest hits and have a look at the uh, songs on it, we've got things like... Once in a Lifetime, Psycho Killer, Take Me to the River, Burning Down the House, This Must Be the Place, Slippery People, Life During Wartime, uh, Road to Nowhere, Nothing but flowers, uh, blind heaven. They're they're oh they're all wonderful songs and they're unique. And I feel like what I love about the Talking Heads, or sorry, what I love about Talking Heads, is that no one else sounds like them. They 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 were doing something that nobody else had ever done before—a particular sound and type of music that they kind of made all of their own. David Burns' vocals are just completely his own. And it just works, and it's just wonderful and beautiful. And one of, if probably the best live concert movie ever is Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads concert film, uh, directed by... Who directed that? Well, it wasn't um, Joe Dante, was it? No, I think it was Jonathan Demme. Look. Yeah, Jonathan Demme. Jonathan Demme, who directed Science of the Lambs, directed uh, Stop Making Sense, which is a, just a, uh, an iconic concert film uh features David Byrne in the very big suit which is uh, an iconic look the oversized David Byrne mm. suit it's just great have you listened to
0: talking heads talking heads i don't think so really like i don't think i've ever listened to them oh that's interesting but the, the the songs sounded like can you tell me one of the songs again like can you tell me the songs that you you said before the
2: one that you would probably know would be uh, once in a lifetime was like this is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful life. How did I get here? Letting the days go by, water flowing underground.
0: Ah, yes, yes. This that I know, and then the other one.
2: Psycho killer, psycho killer. Yeah. Kes, 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 say. Fa 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 fa. fa. Or,
0: yeah, um, I do know. Okay. Burning
2: down the house.
0: Burning down the house. Yes. Burning down the house. What? Why do I know Talking Heads without knowing Talking
2: Heads? <laughs> I don't. Because those songs are like part of the culture. They're like, it's impossible to not know those songs. They're in so yeah. many films. They're all, you know.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: like my favorite song of theirs is probably Nothing But Flowers, which I heard for the first time in Clerks 2, which is a weird place to hear a Talking Heads song for mm. the first time. But yeah they're, um, yeah, they're great. I love Talking Heads. So they are my number two pick. And in fact, last week I mentioned that um, I already knew who my number one pick was and it was Talking Heads, but I'd forgotten about somebody who I prefer. But Talking Heads was the first band I thought of when I thought of this list. So there we go. Now we come to your number one.
0: Yeah. Okay so uh, uh my number one is uh, I think I I think it's the first band I put because I actually love them and I still love them and um, uh, one uh, Weezer did a with a cover of the song and I just after that cover I listened to the album again and there's uh, a British uh, band a rock pop rock band uh, from Bath. England, formed in 1981, Tears for Fears. Mm -hmm. I love Tears for Fears. And for me, if I think about the 80s, like some beats that was like just the 80s for me are Tears for Fears. Yeah. Like they they have to be. And uh, they kind of, uh, they have like proper synthesizers. If you think about the song... Um, everybody's got um, everybody wants to rule the world it's like dun, dun, like a proper synth dun, dun, dun. and it, they, they had the hair they had the, the jackets they were like proper synth pop 80s band and um, like um, for me like the album is songs from the well, they released a few albums between uh, 1983 and 2004 but I think for me, the album is uh, Songs from the Big Chair. I love the album. Um and Seeds of Love is pretty good, but I think Songs from the Big Chair's got like the ones that everybody knows and you can listen to them and which are, you know, Shout Uh and Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Like I think those are everybody knows those songs. Yeah. And I know I just, three just Tears of
2: Fears songs, and it's those two and Mad World.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and they're they're amazing. And, you know, even if you, we'd never, maybe like Talking Cats, like, even if you don't have not listened to their albums, you know who Tears for Fears are, or you have listened to a a song, or you have seen Daniel Beddingfield butcher Mad World. (laughs) Was it Daniel Beddingfield? There was somebody that butchered. I hope you're not talking about Gary Jules,
2: who did the Donnie Darko cover. Maybe. The one that was featured in Donnie Darko,
0: maybe because that—that's not a
2: butchering. That's a reimagining, and it's great. And it was it okay. was Christmas number one.
0: Yeah, it is that one. Yeah,
2: no, it's not. It's, it's a not a butchering. But I disagree.
0: Okay, okay. Well, uh, I like different interpretations, but I, I, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> uh, I think I think they're good. I think they're '80s. I. Uh, I like them. Their voice, their voices are pfft, out of this world. Um, I think is uh, Roland Orzabal. I think that's the name of the of uh, one of them. Has got like a really like kind of eighties voice. Yeah. I just I just love Tears for Fears. They are the first one they put in because I think they're cool. Oh. Also, fun fact. Uh, they used to be my mother's neighbours in Bath.
2: I love it. That is wonderful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, maybe maybe that's why also that I know them. Because, you know, it's like they're like, oh, you know, we used to be neighbours of this, like, this uh, band. And then, yeah. But, um,
1: fun times. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Fun fact.
0: Yeah. Number one. Number one. Tears for Fairs.
2: Good choice. Okay. Thank you. My number one pick is... Um, so I mentioned I can't remember which episode this one, but do you remember I mentioned that I didn't listen to music until I was about eighteen or so?
0: Sixty-five. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah. This band was because the weird. first band I ever liked. This was my first favorite band, and um, I know them. You and I still love them today. Yeah! And I, it's interesting because when I first got into them, I only liked their kind of nineties work. Because I bought a Greatest Hits album that put all of their 90s work together and I'd never listened to them from the 80s and it wasn't until a few years ago that I went back and realised that actually they were at their best in the 80s when they released albums such as Murmur, Reckoning, Fables of the Reconstruction, Life's Rich Pageant, Document and Green. I am talking about the absolute titans of music, one of the most perfect groups of musicians ever to put (laughs) put music to to, to CD. R-E-M.
0: Yes, baby.
2: Oh, you like REM, Alex?
0: Yeah, yeah, a lot.
2: That's so. Yeah. They're just
0: but like you, I, 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 I discovered them in the 2000s with that uh, interesting video, uh, where it's all one shot. Is the it oh, it's like, like, like zooming
2: in and then comes out and then yeah. zooms. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Oh, what's that? What's, I think it's what's that, it's like that, that sugar cane that tasted good. That yeah,
0: so that's want. the first REM song I've ever heard, it's and I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. it's
2: "Imitation of Life." I think yeah. that song called. imitation of life. it's a brilliant tune. It's great, but like, yeah, in the nineties they had stuff like "Losing My Religion." Obviously, It is is a huge iconic track. Um, mm. and you know they had arms like "Automatic for the People," "Out of Time," uh, but but no, in the eighties they had. Like, Murmur, their debut album, it's one of the best debut albums of all time. It's got Radio Free Europe on it, which is an incredible track. Um, their fifth album, Document, has got some songs on it. Um, the One I Love is on there. Finest Work song is on there. There's a track on there called Exhuming McCarthy that I adore. And then It's the End of the World as We Know It, which is obviously, you know, one of their big hits. They're just, they're just brilliant. It's they are the absolutely the fantastic. We're talking we Michael Stipe, Mike Mills, Peter mm-hmm. Buck, Bill Berry, it doesn't get much better than that. They are the best. So uh, they're easily my number one pick for best 80s band,
0: R-E-M. I like a lot. I think it's very good. Thank you very
2: much. All right.
0: You're
2: welcome. Do you want to run down your five again?
0: Yeah, so my number five, The Smiths, my number four, The Police, my number three, The Cure, number two, Eurythmics, and number one, Tears for
2: Fears. Awesome list, and my top five was number five, Metallica, number four, Bruce Springsteen and the <laughs> E Street Band, number three, Iron Maiden, number two, Talking Heads, and number one, R.E.M.
0: Excellent. Do you have any
2: honourable mentions?
0: yeah i have some honorable on on entrench uh okay so uh la 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 the pesh mode uh joy division that then became new order mm-hmm. uh although similar bands but uh, different front band. yeah 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 uh wham uh iron maiden uh dire straits r e m uh bon jovi Uh, Aerosmith. And the problem with the 80s is there was a lot of bands that kind of like went around, didn't it? It was just kind of like, this band started here, but then it went there, didn't it?
2: Sure, yeah, bands going all over the place.
0: But I mean, they didn't really necessarily start in the 80s. But uh, Guns N' Roses. um, Welcome to the jungle. Um, Sorry, I don't know what I was thinking about them. (laughs) And and then... uh, um, I think that is it for my, because um, I don't know, would Queen? Well, Queen are, are always... Queen are an band 80s ever. band,
2: I'd say, yeah. But you, yeah. You've had the, yeah, so you're you number one, aren't they? We know that you love Queen.
0: Yeah, yeah, so they'll always be there. <clears throat> uh, Beastie Boys, uh, love me some Beastie Boys and... Uh, Adam
2: Buxton has a great song about the 80s with uh, a line, uh, the 80s were destroyed by the Beastie Boys.
0: Really? Yeah, it's pretty good. Why? Oh, because
2: it's just no. It's it's not being mean about them. It's just because they ah. came in being very like because the eighties were very like new romantic uh, emotional yeah. stuff, and then the the Beastie Boys turned up being like, "I'm gonna fight for my right to pop." I love the Beastie. They're in my day. honorable mentions list. It's just I, I <laughs> always think of that Adam Buxton song when I uh. <laughs> the eighties were destroyed by the Beastie Boys. Anyway, go on. Sorry.
0: Yeah, and that's it. Uh, those are my honourable mentions.
2: Nice. Okay, I've got some honourable mentions. I think broadly you've covered them, but I'll just go through. Uh, you two, who were good in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Sorry, every time, like because I think of you two now, every time you say you two. I'm going, yeah, but, but you know, they've yeah, got stuff right. like the Unforgettable the Fire
2: and uh, they were great in the 80s. Like their 80s output was wonderful, whatever you think of them nowadays. Mm-hmm. They were good. The Cure, who you talked about Guns N' Roses, you brought up Pixies um obviously a wonderful Mm. band Def Leppard uh Mm. fantastic the Smiths which you've mentioned Queen you've mentioned Beastie Boys you mentioned Toto um of course ah Toto Leatwood Mac Uh, some of these bands I got them off a list of 80s bands and you could argue that over decades but uh but yeah Pink Floyd definitely could be yeah 60s or 70s and uh Taste of Furs which you've mentioned so uh, I think we've broadly covered yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah, I don't know.
0: There. Like I, I, was thinking about Pink Floyd as well, but Pink Floyd started so early. Like Pink, Pink Floyd started in in the sixties. Yeah,
2: and they went through so many different like um, uh, like when Sid Barrett sorry. left, they would they change. Like yeah, they they're an odd one mm. to choose a decade for. There are some bands where it's very difficult to yeah.
1: like
2: say what decade you would put them in. Um, mm. throwing our entire system into disrepute, potentially, but let's not worry about it. <laughs> so yeah, homework.
0: I don't. What how, what we we all, what 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 would we set for homework?
2: Well, I mean, I've never listened to um, songs from the Big Chair, for example. You could set me an album uh, for because there's some of those okay. bands I've never really listened to, like specific albums by them.
0: Okay, so I would uh, maybe like you never really listened to Eurythmics, have no. you? No. Well, well, maybe you should. Uh, I think then I'm gonna set you. Let's start with the start, not the first album, because it wasn't... It was. Uh, let's go for Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This. Okay,
2: got it. I will listen to that and let you know what I think of it. I think I'd like you to listen to Remain in Light by Talking Heads.
0: Okay.
1: Actually... I think instead...
2: It's an odd one, because it's a live album. But I think you should listen to Stop Making Sense by Talking Heads, the live album from that concert film I was talking about. I think that would give you a good idea of them.
0: Stop Making Sense, yeah.
2: Talking Heads.
0: Okay, cool. Cool. Stop Making Sense, Talking Heads. Great.
2: And if you were to recommend one thing from this week's Culture Catch-Up, what would it be?
0: Um, I would recommend... The film
2: Sweet Bean, great film. Sweet Bean are made of these. Sweet beans are made of these.
0: And also I would recommend the book Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by uh, Remy Edo Lodge. Nice.
2: And I would recommend uh, the blockbuster Godzilla vs. Kong, which is a fun time. And also The Sopranos, if you've never seen it. It's pretty good. Yeah. Nice. Um. And it's a good insight into Italian culture, right, Alex?
0: <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> With the gabagool, they say gabagool instead of sin uh, Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, the mozzarella. The mortadell. <laughs> mortadell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. Well. I, we, no. <laughs> no, I, I,
2: I was I, I was being silly. I, I know it's not, <laughs> but it's a good time. Um, join us. So it's been great to be with you as always. Thank you so much for sticking with us and listening to our fun times. Um, you can find us on the internet at, on Instagram and on Twitter and on letterboxd and in a variety of places. Uh, links to it, all of those are in the show notes for this and every episode, along with links to all the things we discuss in Culture Catch Up. Um, so that you can, you know, remind yourself of uh, any recommendations. And please come back and join us next week for our first director special, and we're going to do our top five Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. Yeah. Director special. Director special. Isn't that exciting? So please join us for that. We can't wait to see you again. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. 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 Bye.